It was clear to me by the time the bill was signed on October 3rd that we needed to act quickly and forcefully and that purchasing troubled assets, our initial focus, would take time to implement and would not be sufficient given the severity of the problem. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. It's Wednesday, November 12th at 4.35 p.m. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Dan Costello. Hey, Dan. Hey, um, so we have a really interesting show today. Uh, we look at calls by congressional leaders to save the U.S. auto industry. And we ask the question, save it from what? What would bankruptcy actually look like and how bad would it be? Um, and we get some interesting answers. And we also look at a little-noticed one-line change in the tax code that was, some say, was snuck in by the Treasury Department on September 30th. And this one-line one change could be $140 billion in savings from banks and all coming from taxpayers. I need a one-line change like that to my own tax code. Um, but first, let's get to our planet money indicators. Uh, the TED spread is below two, which is much better than where it was at the height of the crisis, but still much worse than it's been historically. Um, but you had another indicator that you wanted to look at. I was looking at the, uh, yeah, we were looking right before we came in here, the number of new housing starts that Toll Brothers, one of the biggest home builders in the country, had this year, this year, and it was incredibly small. I, the number was 539. I couldn't triple check it. It seemed abysmally small, but it was in the Wall Street Journal today, and it, it was one of those eye-popping statistics. Nationally, though, they say the story had that uh, we'll have about a half a million new uh, single homes built this year. That's down from about 1.8 million in 2006. Wow. Um, and one other uh, sort of today's indicator that we want to talk about, the GM... Uh, stock price is almost is off almost ninety percent for the year, and it's a little over three dollars a share. And what that means is that GM, the largest U.S. automaker by market share, is now worth less than Foot Locker. Wow! And also worth less than Goodyear, which makes tires, which, as everybody knows, is just a part of a car. That's unbelievable. Do you yeah. know they stopped paying retiree health benefits this week oh. on many of their their. Uh, Retirees. Yeah. So, well, that brings us to our first interview. I talked to a guy named Steve Jacobowski of the Coleman Law Firm in Chicago, and uh, he's been a bankruptcy attorney for almost 20 years. And I asked him this question that we've been kicking around here at Planet Money. You know, United Airlines uh, just a couple of years ago went bankrupt and it came out and it's still flying. Planes are still in the sky. Um, what's the problem with GM doing that? Why can't they just declare bankruptcy and then come out of it? Um, what's the difference between them and United Airlines? The primary difference, I think, is the business is the revenue generating model. You can't come out of bankruptcy unless you're making money, and unless you're it, it generating revenues. And right, because the whole the whole point of a bankruptcy, like like what United Airlines went through, is like is they were saying we we came through this really tight spot. We we owed we you know our business fell off precipitously. We owe all this money. We can't pay it. But if we can just get those debts restructured. <clears throat> We will start doing business as normal, and we will right. be able to come out of this as normal. Right. That's that's what you're. That's the that's the ideal situation for a bankruptcy. Yeah, and it, and it worked for United because the consumers that they were relying on to generate the revenues uh, could continue to work, were could be relied upon to continue to buy during the bankruptcy. They would continue to fly during the bankruptcy. Their exposure for making a sale was minimal. They put a $300 down to buy a ticket three or four months down the road, and I don't think consumers were concerned that. 
that United was going to go out of business and they were going to lose that $300. And even if they did, it still was only $300. Mm-hmm. On the GM side, you're talking about someone being asked to put down twenty to $50,000 on a car, looking for support for the next five, ten years. Uh, I think that one of the um, concerns that Rick Wagner's raising to Congress, as well as all the other car makers, is that their research suggests that demand will fall 80% if any of these car companies file for bankruptcy. And the reason being that consumers are not going to put that kind of money on the line unless they know that this support is going to exist down the road. Right. So you're saying that Rick Wagner, and this is the the CEO of, of GM, he's saying that if... So basically, it sounds like what he's saying is if demand falls 80%, and demand has already fallen quite a bit, that yeah. a bankruptcy would be fatal. Like, they wouldn't co- be able to come out of a That's bankruptcy. That's the concern, that, that it would turn into a liquidation. There'd be nothing to reorganize because, because there'd be no... Uh, there'd be no demand for the cars. There'd be no revenue on the other side of this. Right. Right. Now, so so do you buy it? Do you buy that I concern? Do. I actually okay. do buy it. And I think a lot of other bankruptcy experts do buy it. Uh, but it doesn't mean that Chapter 11 should be is precluded. Uh, I think that uh, what's necessary here is some type of a prepackaged bankruptcy that restructures the obligations uh, in a way that enables the company to move forward without... Uh, really under a new capital structure. So let's just talk about what a, what a what a potential sort of orderly bankruptcy for GM would look like. In a orderly bankruptcy, orderly Chapter Eleven, the debtor, as they say, remains in possession. Okay. So, and so they call and they call that a dip, a debtor in possession. Okay. And so you'll hear, for example, there are dip loans. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that's going to happen, the most important thing that's going to happen at the beginning of the case, is that GM is going to need financing. Because all financing stops at the beginning of a bankruptcy case. Okay. So the first thing that has to be lined up here in connection with any finance with any bankruptcy is a dip loan. Because right now, and by financing again, like you know, by financing, what you mean is they have all these factories, they have all these employees that they need to pay, they have all this, all this, all this equipment that they need to buy, they have all these things that they just need to pay money for, right? And, and they borrow that. Right. There's but, not but, a single asset at GM that is that has uh, that had that is not pledged to the banks. Right. And the banks have no obligation after the start of a bankruptcy to lend money, and all of that collateral cannot be used, and all the proceeds of that collateral cannot be used by GM without the consent of the lenders. Oh. So that's why every major retailer, every major company that goes into bankruptcy always goes in with a financing package, usually supported by the existing secured lenders. Because if they don't have that financing package, then every single car that they sell, the profit, that money is... Money has to be held in trust for the benefit of the banks. I see. So, so you've got to get a dip loan. Okay. You've got to get a dip credit facility. The problem today is that is that banks are deleveraging. Nobody really wants to be in the business of lending money to GM or any, or any other company for that matter. They have to deleverage their balance sheet. And so the cost of a dip loan today is astronomical. Oh, so uh, so normally, and this dip loan is sort of standard operating procedure for a bankrupt, for a, for a major corporate bankruptcy, right? Like in absolutely. the in the past, these so there's plenty of companies that come forward and say, yes, we will offer you this so-called dip financing. In, in days where credit was normal or easy, uh, uh, company, and particularly the, in, the, in 06, 07, hedge funds and banks were falling over themselves to provide dip loans to bankrupt companies. 
that's completely changed now. The, the dip market is is completely dried up. The retailers are seeing it the worst uh, dip market in history, uh, and is and basically most retailers are filing for liquidation as compared to reorganization because of the absence of dip financing. So what you're saying then is that in order, so even if GM wanted to do a sort of a normal reorganizational bankruptcy, they couldn't because again of our broken banking and financial system. Right. I don't think I don't think a lend I don't think the lender the lending environment is such that it would permit a protracted Chapter Eleven for any company, car or any other in any other industry. Wow. So so and and so that it sounds like what you're saying is that might be the role of the government. I think the I think the role the role if if the government puts fifty billion dollars into the automakers, it's going to be it will not be at a senior level because all the assets. Uh, wait, you got to explain that. Sorry, sorry, we don't, uh, we we don't understand that. What, what okay, that let's put it, let's put it this way: the when 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 when. The government is asked to put money into an entity. Uh-huh. It can fall at various levels. It can either say, I'm going to lend it to you on a secured basis, like a mortgage. Uh-huh. I'm going to lend it to you on an unsecured basis and rely on your credit. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to give you equity, preferred stock, or I'm going to just be like the rest of the shareholders and common equity holder. Okay. Now, the secured debt, this, the assets of GM are completely hocked. So there's no way that an existing lender is going to allow the government to come in on a senior position. That would make no sense. They're getting bailed out on the one hand and giving the government a senior position on the other hand. Right. They won't do that. The, I see. The, so they could come in on an unsecured basis. But but to come in on an unsecured basis, the bonds, GM bonds are trading in the 20s now or teens. So the likelihood of recovery on a unsecured bond an unsecured debt is maybe ten cents on the dollar for their lucky. And so, so just to make sure I understand what you're talking about, you're saying when if you're saying by by what you mean by the government coming in, you're saying how does the government get money to GM? It can loan yeah. it, it can, and you're saying the only option that the government has of just sort of giving GM money or loaning GM money is it can to loan, loan it, it, or it can become an equity holder. Right. And so, either one of those situations, if the government loaned money to to GM, in either one of those situations, if GM went ahead and still went bankrupt. The government would have no recourse to get that money back. Yeah, They'd be last in the go list. Bankrupt, nobody's really seeing how GM is going to be able to pay off all this debt, and that's why it's trading at ten cents on the dollar. Right, I see. So the problem for the government is it really has no way to protect the taxpayers and put the money in, and so therefore it seems to be, and I, and I think that you can you can see uh, other people taking this view also. The government's greatest role in a bankruptcy situation is to provide is to provide a guarantee of the dip loan credit facility so that a company can borrow money in a bankruptcy case and or in to enable it to restructure itself i see so the so the government's best use of its money is to is to is to sort of facilitate an orderly bankruptcy i think that's right and uh how likely do you think that is i think it's the best alternative whether it's likely to happen i don't know All right. Well, thank you very much, Steve Jacobowski. Um, You can hear more of his sage thoughts on his blog, bankruptcylitigationblog.com, which we will link to on our own blog, npr.org slash money. Now, Dan, you tackled something today that we've been been getting a lot of listener questions about, uh, like this one from Sarah Connor in Chicago. 
I had a question about um, the change in tax code section 382, which appears to give um, American banks a windfall of 140 billion dollars, uh, in addition to the 700 billion dollar bailout. Um, and I'm wondering how and why that got in under the radar uh, with this bailout. And now that legislators know about it, um, why they are hesitant to speak out more about it. Yeah, Sarah wasn't the only one asking us about this. We've gotten tons and tons of reader questions about this. And basically it comes from a series of stories The Washington Post and other bloggers have done in recent weeks. And it's looking at a, a one-line, very little-noticed change in the tax code that the IRS and the Treasury made on September 30th. It Essentially, it's skipping all the gobbledygook, it essentially says that if Bank A buys Bank B, Bank A can now write off the losses of Bank B. Why is that important today? Because banks are buying so many other banks and struggling banks. And so... So, uh, let's, so let's just say, like, for example, so if, like, Wells Fargo agreed to buy Wachovia... Which they did. Which they did. Okay. So under this rule rule change, what, what, what will happen now? It means that at the end of the day, Wells Fargo can write off about $20 billion more than they could have a year ago. Which is basically a $20 billion discount. That's exactly what it is. Wow. And so uh, what's the reaction to this? This has caused an uproar uh, all across the country, obviously from our readers. Uh, it's also caused an uproar on Capitol Hill. You have senators like Chuck Schumer in New York, Senator Grassley, uh, who said they weren't, to they weren't told about this. They, they also have said that uh, Treasury overreached. They don't have the ability to do this. So we asked Robert Williams, who's a corporate tax expert in New York, to help us understand this very contentious issue. And I asked him if he thought the Treasury had the authority to make the change. They have broad authority to prescribe regulations to implement the purposes of the statute. But what they probably don't have, almost certainly don't have, is the authority to eliminate portions or to nullify or temporarily suspend portions of the section. They only have the ability to implement Congress's intentions with respect to the statute, but don't have the ability to nullify, eliminate, or suspend portions of it, at least in most people's judgment. It sounds, from what I'm, from what you're saying here, is that they overreached, and that this may not be over. I right. I think they did overreach. I think most most tax professionals would conclude that they overreached and it might not be over but we're we're all hoping it is over because if 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 congress were to assert its authority and require the IRS and treasury to withdraw this notice and if that had the effect of rendering the Wells Fargo Wachovia deal and the PNC National City deal and some of the other deals if that had the effect of rendering those deals uneconomical so that the buyers withdrew from the acquisitions, that would cause a, a, a fairly substantial reaction in the market. And beyond that, it would... So what you're saying, it sounds like, is yeah. that even if, even if how this occurred might not have been legal, mm -hmm. it may have been one of the reasons, appears to be quite a big reason, oh, yeah. why Wells Fargo agreed to buy Wachovia and why some of the other banks agreed to buy struggling smaller banks. And what you're saying is, look, if we do this right now and try to retro, you know, go back and, and, and change this, this tax change, we could upend the, some of these deals and perhaps throw the broader market into even further disarray. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Exactly. How much money are we talking about here? 
in the three deals we've had announced, there's a, a in the neighborhood of just about thirty billion. How high could this go? I guess that depends on how many deals happen. Well, I, I can tell you this: Jones Day, the prominent law firm, has estimated that the number could reach one hundred and forty billion. Now, that's not a wow discounted present value number. I think on a present value basis, that 140 is probably in the neighborhood of 105, 110, but we, it certainly could could exceed $100 billion. So we're saying, in essence, that this small tax change, mm-hmm. one sentence tax change that appears not to have been done with congressional approval, could increase the $700 billion bailout by 15%. Correct. Wow. Is, is there outrage among, I mean, uh, um, uh, I mean what, do, do tax experts just shake their head at all this, or is this just more of the same? I don't think any... Has anything ever happened like this before on this no, scale? No, not, not in my experience, and I'm doing this 40 years. This is, this is pretty, mu- pretty much unprecedented. I don't think, I don't think outrage is, is necessarily the, the emotion. It's, I think... Uh, People, at least in the tax community, are perplexed or wondering, you know, why, where the IRS and Treasury, you know, derive their authority from. I don't think it's a feeling of outrage, and and that, and going further than that on on Wall Street, I don't think it's there's any outrage at all. It's a feeling. No, in fact, they've been lobbying. Yeah. Many many banks on Wall Street have been lobbying for this rule change for years. They just assumed they couldn't get it through. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They, they Do they regularly make these rule changes on their own? No. No. So what we've had, we've had beyond this one, we've had probably 15 to 20 different examples of rules being relaxed, modified, suspended, etc. This is just the most prominent one. What would have to change now in this regulatory environment meaning would would you would you support a proposal that said uh, that clamped down on the unilateral changes that the treasury department can make to tax code or would you worry that that might cause more problems than yeah. it cures i would worry uh, clearly the latter I, I i would be very concerned that that would cause more problems than it cures yeah Causing more problems than it cures uh, seems to be a common refrain here and something that we're going to be worried about and looking into as we you go forward. You hear that in right? a lot of places these days. Yeah, seriously. Um, well, that's what happens when you're sort of making these things on the fly, making these changes on the fly. Thanks very much to Robert Will- Willens and to all of you for um, sending in your questions. Keep them coming, please. Um, and that's it for Planet, Planet Money today. I'm Alex Bloomberg. I'm Dan Costello. And thanks for listening. So long, it's not true. Wanted a woman, never bargained for you. Lots of people talk.